Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Good to see you guys all this morning. Thanks for joining us here in person. For those of you that have joined us online as well, we want to thank you for joining us. We trust that uh, today's service will be a blessing to you. And I, too, uh, as we begin the message this morning, do want to say thank you to all those who have served in the past in our military. For those that are currently serving, I just want to say thank you for your service. We appreciate what you have done on our behalf and what you continue to do on our behalf. And this morning, uh, we're in week three of our Game Changer series. Uh, Last two weeks ago, we looked at Daniel. Doug brought that one to us and and just looked at the fact that prayer is such an essential element uh, in our life. And Daniel just modeled that, that prayer was just a constant in his life. It was something that he was known for to the point that people tried to use that against him to to get at him. And so we just need to make prayer that central part of our life. And then last week, we looked at Elijah, and we saw that Elijah, he was a game changer because he made the choice to obey. And then in his obedience, he also stepped up and he called other people to obedience. He called other people to faith in God. And as game changers, we have to have that confidence in God. Our confidence grows through our obedience. And then through our obedience, we will be able to call people to, uh, to God and just to, to point to them, to point out to them that, they, that he is the one true God. And so as we think about game changers, we're talking about people who change the course of a game. And the contributions of a game changer can be major. They can be the, the big point scorers. They can be the ones who, who really, you know, put on the show and everybody, you know, sort of notices those. But there's a lot of game changers who do the little things that help the big game changers succeed. And so in our, in our lives, we have to be looking to be game changers. We need to be looking to change the course of culture. And maybe God's going to use us in a big way to do that. And perhaps God's going to use us in in even a smaller way uh, to do that. And so um, we just have to know what our role is. We need to step into that role, understand that God has called us all to... Sorry, Jana. I just Jana told me this morning she's going to do all she could to get fired uh, from that job, and so she's just she's just coming through on that really, really well. Uh, so <laughs> didn't mean to call you out, Jana, but it was just too too much of a game changing moment. Um, so uh, so game changers are people who who uh, who alter the course of the game. The impact can be big, the impact can be little, and and we need uh, to realize where God has called us to and step up to the role that he has called us to do. And so today we're going to look at David, and we're going to um, we'll see how David stepped in and, and changed the game as well. And we're going to see that uh, his impact wasn't necessarily out of things that he did, but rather out of things that he didn't do. I mean, if we're going to look at, at the way that, that David changed the game, you could think, well, was it when he slew Goliath? You know, he, he went to battle, stood up for God, and, and changed the game in that way. That was a game-changing moment. Maybe was it when he actually captured Jerusalem and established that as, as this, the, the, the city, the prime city of Israel that, that holds true to this day. That was a game-changing moment. 
You know, maybe it's when he prepared uh, the, the wood for the, for the, uh, or the, all the supplies for the temple. And, and maybe, you know, well, maybe that's allowed people to worship. Is that the game-changing moment? And those were all game-changing moments, but they weren't, they were not the ones that we're going to look at today. And again, what we're going to look at today is not what he did, but what he didn't do that made him a game-changer. So let's pray, um, and I'll ask the Lord's blessing on this morning, and then we'll get right into uh, the Word together. Father, I just want to thank you. Um, thank you for those that have served uh, for our freedom that sacrificed their lives on our behalf, that sacrificed, Lord, uh, just that peace of mind that so many of us enjoy so that, um, so that we could have that peace of mind, Lord. I just want to pray that you would just continue to be with those that have served and who are currently serving, Lord. And Lord, today as we look into your word, um, just thank you for the practical instructions in, of it. Lord, I just want to thank you that... Um, yeah, that you want us to reflect you well and that you have given us many examples on how to do that. I just thank you in your name. Amen. So I don't know if you've noticed, but um, it seems that, that lately, maybe more so lately, um, people seem to be very harsh with each other. It's, it's hard to walk into a restaurant now or a, an office somewhere without somewhere seeing this sign that basically says, hey, it's not okay to be rude to the people who are waiting on you. You know, we didn't have to see that. That didn't have to be printed years ago. That was just sort of common sense that you weren't to be rude to people. But now you walk into a, a clinic, an office, a restaurant, wherever, and it, there's this sign. It's like, you know, hard, you know, rude talk won't be tolerated. You know, don't, don't, don't be talking harshly to the people that wait on you. And so many times these, these frontline people are, the, are taking the brunt of people's frustrations, and they really have very little control over the situation that they're being crabbed at about. You know, and then another place that, that we see, you know, the harshness is, is on social media, online, you know. Uh, there's just this, this, this fondness in society today of, of lashing out against people, you know. Whether it's somebody makes a comment and somebody has to reply back and make a little snide remark. Or, and, and you just get these little, little spats going on, on online. Amanda and I, we like to try different foods, we like to try different restaurants, and so somebody at work told her about this Facebook group um, that, that just highlights different restaurants in town, and people can post on their different food that they're selling, different things along those lines, and we're like, well, that would be fun to join, you know, and, and then we can find out different things. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of passionate people about food here in Lloydminster. You know, somebody posted one day that the order that they had ordered didn't come as expected. Well, if you read the chain of comments after, it's like, well, why did you expect that anyway? You're foolish for expecting that. And then, well, the price is here, different here. And like, it's just this whole spat that goes on about, about an order from a restaurant, you know? And you think, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. And then another person had posted um, that they, they had noticed that uh, a restaurant had to go to online only, like deliveries only, nothing, no, nothing in, in dining. Well, and then somebody had to go on that they're giving in to the scamdemic and all of these different things, and, and, and it was just this crazy back and forth, and then somebody said, well, actually, they've just been having a hard time finding workers, and they can't do takeout and the dining hall, so they've just gone to takeout. And it's just amazing how this back and forth, this cutting people, uh, you know, just being cutting and harsh towards people just is so prevalent in society. I, I read a post, and I was looking on to do my research this week. I went online and just to check out this, this group, and the poor lady that started it, the manager of this Facebook group, she had to say this, if you have nothing kind or productive to say on a post, then please keep scrolling. 
You will be placed on approved only comments post if you're being rude. And you think, here, this poor lady, all she wanted to do is help people find good food in Lloydminster. And now she's policing rude comments and, and cutting comments and hurtful comments and people complaining that the service wasn't great or the bread wasn't fresh or, you know, what, whatever. And I just think, wow, you know, society, we have just become so quick to be harsh, so quick to be critical. And, and is that really what God expects of us? Is that being a game changer? You know what? And I tell you, it's an area that I struggle in. And it's awful when you're preparing a message and you're confronted with God's word and then you're driving with Kenton and you start to talk and you're like, my goodness, I'm doing it. Very things that I'm not supposed to do. I'm being critical about somebody else or something else or, you know, whatever. Kenton's not. He's just gentle and nice to everybody. But, you know, like, it's just crazy. But, like, but for me, I was like, wow. And two or three times this week, I actually, I actually caught myself doing exactly what I'm going to preach and encourage us not to do. And so I want you to know that this, this message isn't just, you know, it's for you guys, it's for me, and I hope you benefit from what I learned uh, this week, and I hope that we can put this into practice. And as we look at, at David's life again, we're going to see that, that he chose to respond differently. And because he chose to respond differently, he changed the culture around him. He made an impact on people's lives. And so we looked a little bit at this uh, this summer when, when we spoke on the fruit of the Spirit on patience. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going into the background, but I want to touch on this to give us the, the sense of what's going on in, in these passages. And so David had been anointed king. Samuel had come and anointed king. And they, the only complication in that was the fact that King Saul was still king. And so we have King Saul ruling over Israel, and now God has rejected Saul because of his sin. He sent Samuel to anoint David, and now David's anointed king, and, and that just tends to cause some tension. Saul didn't want to lose his kingdom. He tried to make David a pincushion a couple times, tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, and David, for many years, was on the run. And oftentimes, Saul would take his army and just on a seek-and-destroy mission, trying to find David to kill him, chasing him all over the countryside. And in one particular time, um, Saul, unbeknownst to himself, caught up with David. David and his men were hiding in a cave. And David, the Bible tells us that Saul came in to relieve himself. And so he's in the cave alone. And, and David's men are like super excited. Right? 1 Samuel 24, 4, it says this. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David's men are fired up. You know, they're tired of running. They've been running and hiding in caves for, for a while. And now Saul's all by himself, defenseless. And they're like, go for it. David, this makes sense. God has anointed you king. He said he was going to give the kingdom into your hand. This is, God has just delivered Saul to you. Let's, let's kill him and let's get, let's get on with your kingdom. And David's response is, was very interesting. David takes his knife out and he creeps towards King Saul and then he cuts a corner off of Saul's robe. Doesn't kill him, just cuts the corner off his robe. Then Saul gets up, he leaves, and David confronts him, said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. You know, I've heard that story a number of times, and, and, and there was something that I missed. There was something I missed in the reading of it, and I just want to read it to you and see if you pick up on it. So David has come up, this is before he's confronted Saul, he's come up, and he's just cut the corner off Saul's robe, and in 1 Samuel 24, 5-7, it says this. And afterwards... David's heart struck him because, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. 
and to put up my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. The thing that I missed, I, I, I've always celebrated the fact that all David did was cut a corner off of Saul's robe. Always said, man, what a, what a lot of self-control to do that, to not kill him. And yet here, as David crept forward and he cut the corner off Saul's robe, that was a sign of disrespect. And as soon as he did it, the Bible says his heart struck him. His conscience convicted him that he had done wrong. And so today, as, as we think about conflict and as we think about people confronting us, I want you to encourage you. One of the things I want us to take away today is that getting revenge, responding as people respond, it never satisfies. In fact, it will always leave us feeling guilty. Doing the right thing, we will be able to lay our head on the pillow at night and sleep peacefully. But when we respond in, in a way, the same way that people have mistreated us, or we respond unkindly when people are unkind to us, it's always going to come back to haunt us. And David, as soon as he cut the corner of Saul's robe, even though he didn't kill him, he still disrespected him. And that cut him to the heart. And he said, guys, I shouldn't have done that. He's the Lord's anointed, and I should not have done that. And so then he confronts Saul, and, 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 or he's talking to his men, and then confronts Saul too, and it says this in 24.6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do anything to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he's the Lord's anointed. And then in 1 Samuel 24.12, it says, may the Lord judge between me and you. This is as David's talking to Saul. And may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So one of the things that David does, and we're going to see this two other times, is that he takes the situation... And he commits it to God. He said, Saul, you're, you're, you're really being a pain. But it's not for me to take things into my own hands. I'm going to trust the outcome of this to God. And it pops up again in, in the next time that Saul's out chasing David again. Saul went home repenting for a little while. And then he comes back and he decides to chase David a little bit more. Try to kill him again. And David and Abishai sneak down into Saul's camp. God called a, caused a sleep to, uh, to fall on Saul's camp. A deep sleep. David and Abishai sneak through the camp and they're standing there at, at, Saul's, you know, at Saul's side and Abishai's all ready to kill him. You know, he, he just says, look, look, just let me run him through. It'll only take me one hit um, and, and he'll be dead. And this is how David responds. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is, it, that is at the head and the jar of water, at, at his head and the jar of water, and let us go. Again, David, right there, anointed king. One day he's going to be king of Israel, and, and Saul has to be removed in order to, for David to be king. David is standing there, and his, his, one of his mighty men, ready just to, to pin Saul to the ground and, and end the conflict. And David says, Nope. It's not my duty to do that. It's not my right to do that. God is going to deal with him in his time and in his way. I can't take revenge. I can't take vengeance on Saul. God's going to have to do it. And then the third part, the third example of David choosing not to react the way that, that culture would dictate that he should or even within his rights to do was after he had reigned a few years in Israel. And his son Absalom um, led a revolt and really declared himself to be king. And so David and his family had to flee for their life. 
And they're trying to, to, as best they can, to get out of Jerusalem and to a safe place before Absalom comes and, and wipes them all out. And as they're walking along the road, in 2 Samuel 16, we see this. When King David came to Berum, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came, and he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of, the king, of king David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is upon you, for you are a man of blood. Again, Shimei comes out, a, 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 some family member of King Saul, still having beef with David about taking over the throne from, from Saul's family. And he's insulting David. He's throwing rocks at him. He's throwing dirt at him and, and everybody that's with him. And at that point, Shimei is dis- disrespecting the king. And in that culture, um, that was really a serious offense. And Abishai, again, this guy's just ready to fight any time that, that somebody insults David. You know, and Abishai says, look, David, let me just go and I'll remove his head from his shoulders and we'll be all done. This guy won't insult you again. And again, well within David's right. Well with his, within his uh, duties as king or authority as king to end this guy's life. But he says this, and, Abishai, and David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite, Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me for the good, uh, with good for his cursing today. Emotionally, David is in a pretty low place here. His own son has rebelled against him. This guy comes out to insult him, and, and David's just like, kind of like this whatever, just a, a sort of almost a defeated, you know, a defeated feeling. If my son's trying to th- throw me out of the kingdom, why wouldn't this guy? If this son doesn't like me, or this guy doesn't like me, why would, why would, you know, why would I even care at this point? And so, instead, though, of r- acting within his rights, he just said, you know what? I'm going to leave this in the Lord's hands. I'm going to let the Lord deal with that. And he just kept walking. And did Shimei stop cursing and go, ooh, man, David's got self-control. And man, I got a lot of respect for him. Nope, he kept throwing stones. He kept throwing rocks. He kept throwing curses at David, you know. And, and he didn't stop. And David did not avenge himself. Now, to give you the full story of, of, of uh, Shimei and David, as David uh, lived out his life, um, and Shimei lived out his, at the end of David's life, as he's preparing Solomon to take over his kingdom, uh, Solomon, uh, David says this in 1 Kings 2, verse 9. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. And he's talking about Shimei here. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. And so today, the point of the message is not when people offend you, keep a record, and then as you're about to die, tell your kids to kill them, all right? That's not the point of the message. But, but David here, at the end of his life, says, don't forget what Shimei did. And you're a wise man, Solomon. And, and this wasn't just sort of an edict to, to execute him. He said, Solomon, you're a wise man. You're going to know what to do. And there's going to be serious judgment that come. And so Solomon, he goes and he speaks with Shimei and he, he, he kind of lays out the plan. He says, Shimei, if you stay in this city and you never leave this city, you can, you can live the rest of your life, live the rest of your days out in this city. But if you leave, then you forfeit your life. 
And for a while, Shimei stayed, and he lived in, the, in, the, in that city. And then one day, a couple of his servants took off, and he decided that he'd go and chase them down. And he left the city. And then Solomon confronts him. He says this, Why have you not kept your oath uh, to the Lord and the commandments with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, You know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, and he went and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And again, as we, we look through this account, you look at the fact that David said, hey, don't forget what Shimei did, but you'll be wise in the way that you deal with it. And then Solomon sets up these parameters, and, and when, when Shimei violates those, I find it very interesting where Solomon he says this. So the Lord will bring back your harm to your own head. Again, it was God carrying out vengeance for David years later, years after Shimei had insulted him, years after Shimei had called him out. God defended and took vengeance on Shimei on David's behalf. And so one of the things that we, we need to take away from this morning is this, is that we need to trust God when there's conflict. We need to trust God when people mistreat us. We need to trust that as a loving Heavenly Father, He will defend us. And it's not our job, it's not our responsibility to do so. Society around us may say, you know, it's your right. Somebody's mistreated you, it's your right. Stand up to them. Don't let them get away with that. Man, make sure that people know this. Make sure that, 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 that nobody else gets treated like that. All of these things, you know, stand up for yourself. Point out the flaws in other people. Point out the weakness. Point out the conflict. But that's not what God calls us to do. There's a passage of scripture, um, I think, that deals with this really well in the book of Romans. Romans 12, 17 to 21. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in the application today, what do we take away from David? How can we be game changers in the culture around us? The first thing that I want us to see is when a conflict arises is we need to change the game by trusting in God. And again, this is trusting that God is going to defend us. That's what David did. Again, when you look at uh, 1 Samuel 24, 12, may the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you. 1 Samuel 26, the second time, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed. When Shimei was hurling insults at him, he says, leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me for the good, with good for his cursing today. Imagine how peaceful that would be if we could do that. Man, when somebody offends me, when somebody does something that I don't like, when somebody says something that I don't like, a lot of times I can get into that game of trying to figure out how to make sure everybody knows or how everybody can come to my side or, or just a quick tongue, a quick response, a quick insult back to being insulted or, or whatever. I can, I can just 
stew about those things even for a bit. But could you imagine how much more peace we would have when somebody offends us, when somebody uh, insults us, when somebody treats us wrongly, if we just said, you know what, God? That one hurt. That one hurt a lot. But I'm gonna let you deal with it. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm not going to point out their flaw. I'm not going to, it's your, you promised that you would do it. You promised that you would take care of this situation. How much more peaceful would that be? You know, okay, God, you got it, and leave it. And that's what, that's what a game changer does. That's what a game changer does. A game changer is not one that just fuels the fire. A game changer is one that says, okay, God, that one hurt, hurt a lot, but I trust that you love me, and I trust that you will defend me. And so the first step is trust God with it. The second thing that I want to draw from this passage in Romans is that game changers don't repay evil for evil. Just don't respond in the same way that you've been treated. Don't respond, and, and if somebody insults you, don't insult back. You know, if somebody posts something about you online, don't post back. Avoid that, that reaction. Avoid that, you know, escalating the situation. Always be looking to de-escalate it. The proverb says this in Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city. And I, I just love this comparison here. Slow to anger. Somebody insults me. Being slow to anger is better than winning the fight. It's better than taking things into my own hand and, and one-upping. It's better than taking a city. It's better than being a mighty man. Being slow to anger is the way that we should respond. Game changers, the next thing that we see is that they do what is honorable. It says this in Romans 12, 17, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this is choosing what is better. This is choosing what is good. This is choosing what will bring the most attention, not to myself, but to God. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's our job to reflect his character well. It's our job to reflect his nature well. And when Jesus was insulted, he didn't insult back. When Jesus was wronged, he didn't do wrong back. In fact, he died in place of those who were wronging us, wronging him. And so it's our job as believers in Jesus Christ to reflect his character and his nature well. So when we're insulted, we don't insult back. When we're mistreated, we don't mistreat back. We trust God. We put things into his hands. We choose what is better. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, A soft anger turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And again, a soft, ang- a soft answer, responding calmly to the situation, responding politely to the situation apologizing for something that you may have done to escalate it, even if you feel you're innocent. Soft anger turns away wrath. Instead of continuing the fight, it brings, it brings peace. That brings us to our next point, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That one's tough, isn't it? Don't do anything that continues the fight. Do what you can to live at peace with everybody. Did a lot of coaching of basketball growing up, and, and one of the, the guys that I, I, did, I coached with, he was a head coach, I was the assistant for a number of years that Parker was playing ball, and he always, when things kind of got tense, there was something that he would bring up to the boys all the time, either in the game or in practice or whatever, when the motions were running high, and he'd, you know, maybe call a timeout or call us over in practice, and then he'd, he'd start asking the boys, who could you control? Who can you control? In a game, can you control the referees? Nope. Can you control the other team? Can you control your teammates? Can you control the fans? 
And the reality was that each player can only control one person, and that's themselves. It's the same way it is in life. We can't control other people. We can't control how people react or act towards us. We can't control how society sees things. But we can control one thing. We can control ourselves. And we can always seek to bring peace to the situation. It says this in Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And when there is no whispering, a quarreling ceases. I love burning things. Not in like a pyromaniac way, but I love burning things in the sense like my dad, when I was growing up, he had a little bit of property. And we'd go through and we'd trim trees and different things like this and pick up dead fall and just burn that. We'd spend afternoons doing that. Um, I did that back east in our backyard all the time. Um, and and just, it's just peaceful for me. It's, it's very relaxing. But in order to have fire, you need three things. You need oxygen, you need heat, and you need fuel. The Bible tells us this, don't throw fuel on the fire. Again, if there's an argument, if there's tension, if you're, if you're being mistreated, don't throw fuel on that. Don't make it worse. If there's no fuel, the fire can't burn. So our job is to make sure we're not adding fuel to the fire. Our job is to make sure that we are not making the conflict worse by adding to it. And there's a second part, and it really kind of stinks, but it's Bible, so I have to tell you. It says this, and when there's no whisper, quarreling ceases. Not only can I not respond to the person that's insulting me, not only can I not respond negatively when somebody's responding negatively, I'm not supposed to be the one that's going around trying to bring everybody onto my side to see my point of view so that the fire keeps burning and conflict keeps raging between people. It's my job to not put any fuel on the fire directly or by trying to win people to my side and convince everybody how right I am and how wrong the other person is. Hard to do, hard to do, but it's what we're called to do. Another proverb that always has brought a smile to my face, but um, just a great picture. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. You know, I, I just love that. Uh, it's, it's a great verbal picture. You know, you grab a dog by the ears, you pull him close to you, what's gonna happen? You're probably gonna experience pain here. And, and, and the Proverbs is this. It says, man, if the fight isn't your business, mind your own business. Stay out of the fight. Don't add to the, to the conflict. Again, if it's, if it's not your business, if somebody comes to you for advice, yes, by all means, it is good to give godly advice. We need to bear one another's burdens. But don't be the person that sees something online and goes, oh, I'm gonna comment on that and, and add fuel to the fire and, and, and just cause more and more conflict. Don't be that person that looks for those opportunities to hear when somebody else is in conflict and, and to, to get your nose involved into that conflict and to, and to just, again, in, inflame the situation. The Proverbs is very clear. If you do that, you're gonna get hurt and you're gonna hurt other people. The last proverb for this morning is this. Um, it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And again, as we, as we think about that this morning, um, just bringing out the fact is this, is sometimes I have to choose, even if I'm offended, to let it slide. I said too often and today, the trend is to be offended easily and to be gracious rarely. But you know what? 
we have to recognize that sometimes somebody's gonna do something that's gonna bother us. Sometimes people are gonna do things that are going to hurt us and to offend us. And sometimes we have to say, I'm just gonna let that go. And by letting it go doesn't mean like tucking it in my back pocket and being ready to use it the next time there's conflict. Well, you remember the last time? No. Letting it go means letting it go. Not thinking about it again. Not bringing that back out the next time somebody offends us. Actually forgiving it. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. And then the second part, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. One of the things that I have to consider and have to remember is when I speak poorly about somebody else, I can negatively impact a friendship that exists between those other people. I can do damage to somebody else's friendship if I start airing my complaints and my beef with that person to to people around me. And so God has, has said, as much as possible, as much as depends on you, be at peace with everybody. And finally, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the thing. This verse is is a little bit of a conflict for me. And I don't know if you see the conflict. Do good, and by doing, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. You think, wow, somebody offends me. If I'm nice, then I'm dumping hot coals on their head. I'm getting my revenge. All right? That's the way I kind of think, but it's not the way God wants us to think, all right? My good motives, right, or my, my good deeds can't be done with wrong intentions, right? When somebody mistreats me and I respond in kindness, it's not so I can be like, ha, there's a hot coal for you, right? When somebody mistreats me and I respond in con- kindness, it's because I want them to say, what's different? And again, not because... I want the glory, not because I want them to think that Bruce is a good guy, but because I want them to see the character and nature of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that needs to be our goal, is to seek peace, and by being a game changer, point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Point them to, to his character. And today, again, as we, as we close, we're not capable of doing this on our own strength. We can't just resolve within ourselves to say, I'm just going to do this better. I'm going to be a game changer. We can only do that with the Holy Spirit's help. We can only do that as the Holy Spirit works in us and, and reflects more and more of his character to the people around us. And today, again, we've just touched on it lightly. But the whole point is to point people to the character and nature of Jesus Christ who, when we sinned against him, loved us enough to die for us. So that if we place our faith and trust in him, he makes us new creations. And he enables us to be game changers by going against the culture, the trends around us, and to do what he would do in those same situations. And so today, as we close, the band's gonna play just again a time of reflection, a song of reflection. Um, you can stand and, and, and sing with them, but I would just encourage you, during this time, just ask yourself this question. Have I been repaying evil with evil? Have I been choosing to do what is honorable rather than seeking revenge? Have I been doing all that I can to be at peace with other people? And I've been choosing to respond to evil with good. If that's not the case, then, then take this time as a time of confession. 
And maybe after you confess to God, maybe there's somebody that you need to approach and say, I'm really sorry for the way that I've responded to you. And I'd like to make that right. And then of course today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to place your faith and trust in him, to confess your sin to him, and to recognize the fact that he paid the ultimate price for you by dying on the cross and making it possible for God to offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And again, uh, you can do that right where you sit and, and hand your life over to Christ. If you'd like to do that today, certainly do that. If you'd like to talk to me, I'll be down front uh, uh, at the end of the service. Come talk, come talk with me or anybody with a volunteer shirt would love to, love to point you into the direction of how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're just going to turn things over to the band and thank you for this morning. Mm-hmm.